The pre-med path can be super confusing. If you'd love some help on your path or on your applications, use the promo code PMY for pre-med years, PMY over at medicalschoolhq.net and get some help from some of our experts, former directors of admissions, admissions officers, other experts. We have a small team ready to help you today. Again, that's promo code PMY to get a discount on our services at medicalschoolhq.net. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Pre-Med Year, session number 338. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the pre-med years. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. Today, I have a very interesting guest, a very interesting topic that many of you are going to be like, why am I going to listen to this? But trust me, the more that you can learn about this topic, the better physician that you'll be, the better medical student that you'll be, and the better person you'll be because everything in your life, you will start to learn how to make it better. Now, sometimes I go a little bit overboard with this thinking because I love continual process improvement. And Allison, my wife, gets mad at me sometimes. She's like, why do we have to improve this process? I'm like, because we could save like five seconds doing this every single day. And that adds up. But I'm having a great guest with the director of the Healthcare Systems Engineering Program at Lehigh University. Ana Yulia Alexandrescu. So let's go ahead and jump right into the conversation all about process improvement. Ana, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Ryan. I'm excited to talk to you because I can geek out about everything that you get to geek out on every day. And it kind of has to do with healthcare, but kind of doesn't. But in the big picture, I'm excited to have this conversation because I think it's something that every student going into medicine needs to be thinking about and needs to be aware of. And now with that cryptic opening, you have or run or director of a master's program at Lehigh University helping physicians and pre-meds and others learn healthcare systems engineering, basically. Explain what that is. It's a good question. (laughs) Um, So I guess the probably the best way to put it is thinking about how to plan, design, manage, um, and run uh, systems of healthcare delivery. Now that's a mouthful. So what does that really mean? 
um, goes down to the fact that healthcare, as we know it, as we see it, as it's happening in 21st century, it's a very complex system. Lots of moving parts, lots of people, lots of processes, lots of subsystems and pieces that have to work together in order to come up to a coherent picture, which largely we don't have. So systems engineering is how you think about such a system and how you put together processes and systems of care delivery and how you make all those parts work together in unison so that you end up with good patient experiences, good experiences for care providers, efficient, effective, safe care, uh, resilient systems that recover quickly when there are disruptions of various kinds, um, and so on. So it has a myriad of, of applications in any kind of uh, or any part of the healthcare system that you can think of. So how did you get into this? What's your background? So my background is in industrial and systems engineering uh, with uh, an emphasis on operations research. Um, and I sort of got into healthcare by accident through a string of projects that I did as a student. I learned more and more about various aspects of healthcare uh, and various ways in which healthcare doesn't quite work the way it should work or could work. Um, and so once I graduated, I worked for a boutique consulting firm, uh, working a lot in business process re-engineering. Um, and now I am in my current position, work with students um, and industry partners on a lot of healthcare delivery uh, system-related problems of all sorts of nature. So I come at it uh, from the engineering perspective. I, I don't have a clinical background myself. Yeah. So a lot of students listening to this will will think, well, how does this pertain to medicine? Why is this important? As a physician, I'm going to show up to my clinic, I'm going to see patients, and uh, I'm going to prescribe them medication, they're going to go on their way, or I'm going to show up to the OR I'm going to do the surgery and they're going to go on on their way. Why is this important to me? It's a really good question. Um, So I would say that the way to think about healthcare systems engineering as a uh, pre-med student or future medical professional is that we look at everything that happens outside of the uh, room or outside of the pure interaction with the patient. Um, so, for example, if you're an emergency medicine physician, you work in a very chaotic environment uh, where people keep coming, they wait for a very long time, sometimes they leave the emergency department without being seen, sometimes they wait even after being seen before they get transferred to uh, an inpatient bed. Um, as an ED physician, all of this affects you, affects the environment in which you work, affects how uh, care is delivered to the patient you care about, affects, affects everything um, about how that uh, emergency department operates. If you have a healthcare systems engineering perspective on top of your medicine perspective, you can start looking at ways to do triage differently ways to organize and manage the operations of that emergency department such that it functions better, such that people spend less time waiting, um, such that physicians are uh, using more time with their patients and on clinical duties rather than on other things that keep them away from practice. Similarly, um, we've had a number of uh, surgeons 
go through the HSC program. And the operating room is another environment that uh, has a lot of moving parts and a lot of complex operations involved with it. Um, some of the questions that that you might want to figure out is, do you start um, a colon cancer surgery uh, with a robot or do you start it open? And what if you can predict the risk of having to switch from robot to open because of likelihood of complications based on uh, information available before the surgery? Um, how do you sequence your surgeries? Do you put the longest surgery first or the shortest uh, surgery first? Um, how do you like? How do you manage your day such that you, for example, as a surgeon, minimize disruptions, spend less time uh, idle and waiting for things to happen so that you can get on with your day, and then are all in all just more effective and more efficient, um, and therefore provide overall better care in a more pleasant and well-functioning environment. Um, so we, we look and we think about all of these aspects. Um, now, there are certain things that, for example, as an engineer, I can look at your schedule as a surgeon, and I can definitely give you recommendations on how to improve that schedule or make it less likely to run long, less likely for certain surgeries to be canceled, uh, better at predicting how long each surgery will take, all of that is in my power as an engineer, um, but there are decisions or aspects that I cannot really control or I do not see, um, I, I do not have access to because of lack of clinical, uh, clinical information. So essentially, I can give you the, the, the recipe or the reasoning or the logic why you might want to make certain decisions one way or another, but I lack the clinical context to push that beyond a certain level. But you, as a clinician with this sort of mindset, don't have that barrier. So you can go a lot further and apply some of these concepts into designing new uh, treatment protocols, new ways of approaching diagnosis, new ways of practice, uh, better care delivery models, and so on. Can you give an example of a... Uh, a problem I, I know you guys look at through the through your program you look at complex issues and try to solve them and and as a group what what is a big problem that has been solved recently or at least improved recently that you can give an example to us about sure so we worked with um, a resident in uh, colorectal surgery um, and uh, another physician from a colorectal surgeon um, to look at uh, predicting the um, likelihood of... So in colorectal surgery, there are certain surgeries that are inaccessible. Uh, so with a robotic uh, assisted surgery, you actually get better visibility in certain cases and perhaps better access. Um, on the other hand, um, robotic surgeries can take a much longer time. They're much less invasive for the patient, so the patients recover quicker. But if there are complications, essentially you have to take the robot and the robotic team out and then scrub up and then bring in another team that is different from the robotic surgery team to begin with. So the questions here were twofold. One, are the outcomes for patients worse when we uh, start off with a robotic surgery and then we switch to 
um, open surgery partway through because of something that happened as a complication during surgery. And the second was, could we, based on information available prior to the surgery, predict the likelihood of that switch happening? And given the risk tolerance and the, the surgeon's evaluations of that risk, make an informed decision whether this particular surgery is better to be done by a via the robot or better to actually switch to open surgery to begin with. And so this used NISQIP data from um, over 600,000 surgeries performed in the United States, limited to obviously the, the ones that were, um, that we're looking at. And uh, the, the starting point was that to build a predictive model, uh, first to compare statistically the population that started with the robot and switched to open versus had open, um, controlling for uh, various uh, differences. Um, and the results show that, yes, indeed, the um, outcomes are worse for patients that start with robot and switch to open versus patients that with comparable uh, patient background actually completed the surgery via open. Um, and second, assuming... Um, uh, Given the information that we have available prior to the surgery, can we build a predictive model that can relatively accurately predict the risk of that switch having to happen? Um, and based on that, make an informed decision whether to go on with the robot or not. And then the, the predictive model also achieved a relatively good performance. Obviously, this could be further improved, uh, but it's a starting point to at least start to build that kind of reasoning in the decision-making process prior to colorectal surgery. So that's that's one example. Yeah. How is that different? A, a student listening to this will be like, well, that's similar to research that I do looking at patient outcomes for one type of procedure versus another. How is is this healthcare systems engineering mindset different than just doing research and looking at patient outcomes? Um, so I guess the, <clears throat> the general idea is that this just looking at the patient outcome difference is one aspect of it, but there are operational implications to making that decision, even if there may not be patient outcomes. So for example, let's say that there isn't really, um, it wasn't the case in this case, but let's assume that truly there were no differences between patients who started with robot and switched to open versus patient that started open. So from a patient recovery and experience perspective, it wasn't, it didn't make a difference. That doesn't mean there isn't a difference at all in, from a system perspective. Um, from um, how long should you be booking your operating room? Um, what disruption that causes to other surgery schedule that day, to the patient recovery planning. Uh, like I said, robotic would be much less invasive versus open would be like the patient recovery is a lot longer. What implication does that have, not just on the patient level, but also on all the operations in the hospital around that particular surgery, both in the OR room as well as in the recovery, in the PACU, and then afterwards in discharge. I can also give you other examples that are happening in more um, operationally complex environments. Um, for example, looking at um, 
uh, we we had a project. Both students are now in, in medical school. They're both pursuing surgical careers, but they worked with uh, trauma surgeon, uh, the trauma surgery team, particularly two trauma surgeons um, at one of the hospitals in the region looking at the process for ICU step down for uh, neurotrauma patients. Um, and the challenges there were really around communication, coordination, and logistics for um, basically making sure that patients that have been cleared for step down, so from moving from the intensive care unit to a less intensive care environment, um, to actually complete that move. Um, and the the failures in the system that are not really traceable to any one particular person or area, but rather just the pieces not fitting together properly would lead to um, people being in the ICU much longer than they were supposed to originally, which takes up space in the ICU, blocking other people, uh, other patients that need the ICU um, in the OR or in the ED or elsewhere in the hospital where um, they, they, they remain stuck because they can't get access to the care they need. Um, and it's also bad for the patients in the ICU because ICU is a very the ICU is a very restrictive environment. So um, a number of different uh, services uh, that a patient might need are not actually available or possible in the ICU. So it overall results in less optimal patient care for both the patients that are stuck in the ICU longer than necessary and others who can get access to that resource. Um, and it's not in, in the current healthcare environment. As an engineer, I can look at this process and I can say, this is bad, doesn't work as it should be, it should be fixed. However, the number of decisions that are being made are staggeringly many and they are deeply clinical. So I, as a pure engineer, don't necessarily have the authority or the basis to make specific recommendation on how to fix it. So I can have many ideas. I can uh, analyze many different ways in which this could be made better. Um, but it takes a clinical mind and a clinical understanding of the processes in order to be able to improve this particular situation. So does that make sense? Yeah, no, it definitely does. And it, it makes sense for me because I love this type of, of stuff, this this type mm -hmm. of uh, constant process improvement and, and this sort of thinking for mm -hmm. the student who may be being exposed to this for the first time right now, how can we introduce to them a way to start thinking about this sort of process improvement in their everyday life? Oh, um, well, there, I guess you hit the nail in the head because I think, um, both you and I apply a lot of these principles um, quite quite often. So a lot of these principles have been applied in, in other industries and in other processes and systems, and you see their results um, in um, a lot of everyday life. So starting, um, I guess, starting from evidence you see and then moving on to things that you can do. Um, so from things that you see, um, a lot of us that have uh, prime membership get deliveries in two days 
pretty much anywhere in the United States for a staggering number of things. That is only possible uh, through a very robust analytical platform and a way of thinking and predicting demand and trying to anticipate uh, what, what will be required and being relentless in improving operations for delivery. Um, I think there's been an announcement actually that um, Amazon is exper- experimenting with prime delivery for one day. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there are many different, the way, the way um, uh, for example, if you get a credit card statement and you look at it, you usually can read it. it it's pretty easy to read. If you get a healthcare bill, um, tough luck. Many people can't read them and they're much, much more complicated, right? So there have been like efforts in many other industries to become much more cu- customer focused. Um, and um, a good example that people use is comparing healthcare with airlines. And if you're trying to fly from, let's say, New York to Seattle, you're probably going to have to connect, but you don't have to buy your luggage pass separately and you don't have to manage how your luggage makes it from one connection to another and you don't have to buy yourself like the lending spot on the airport or anything like that Uh, whereas in healthcare that doesn't quite work as streamlined and people oftentimes have to uh, piece together uh, across a fragmented system what they need so there there have been everywhere you look around you the the fact that when you buy an iPhone you're guaranteed to for it to be the same as the next iPhone that is systems engineering at work the fact that every iPhone as much as people might uh, might disagree with that but the fact that every iPhone is in some way better or superior to the previous iPhone is is the same idea this relentless pursuit of um, better, uh, improved, um, excellence and, and so on. Now, the kinds of things that you can do, uh, you can do in your life. Um, there are a number of process improvement, uh, principles that, um, that apply very simply. Uh, for example, there is a methodology called 5S, um, which talks about how you, um, manage, it essentially started with how you manage your your tools and your work environment, but it can ap- apply to how you organize your desk or your closet or your subjects uh, or your folders on your computer. Um, and the the simple way to think about it is having a place for everything and have, putting everything in its place. Coming up with the system that keeps you organized um, significantly reduces the amount of time you have to spend looking for things. Um, and it makes it very easy to figure out when you're missing something. Um, in surgical cases, uh, for example, this would translate into having a tray that has all the necessary instruments in their proper place. So when um, one of them is missing, you can notice immediately that it's missing. Um, and you also can shorten the amount of time it takes you to retrieve the correct instrument by because it's always in the same place, always in the same in the same location. So you don't have to search for it, which, again, doesn't sound like a big deal. But when you're doing many different surgeries and you have to search for an instrument every single time across a set of like 50, it can add up. Um, another quick principle uh, refers to root cause analysis. So oftentimes, 
this also has a parallel in, in healthcare, where we always say you should treat the cause rather than the symptom. Um, so root cause analysis has many different, I guess, flavors or variations, but essentially it, it's a systematic approach to trying to understand why a certain symptom or effect has been observed. Um, one simple way is to adopt the toddler methodology, which is to keep asking why. Um, they recommend five times. Sometimes you might need to ask more than five whys. Mm. Uh, but essentially, you can you can do that and then get to the bottom of, of things. So why did the person, the patient, wait for a very long time in the emergency department? Well, because there was no room available. So if you stop there, you might get to the erroneous conclusion or potentially erroneous conclusion that that emergency department needs more rooms. If you continue to ask why, you find out that, well, the rooms were occupied by patients who are waiting to be transferred in the, uh, in the beds upstairs in the inpatient units. Okay, so if you stop there, you might reach the erroneous conclusion that the hospital needs more beds. If you keep asking why, you figure out that the beds were actually occupied by patients who were waiting to be discharged um, and hadn't left yet. So we couldn't clear their room, so we couldn't get a patient in, so we couldn't get a person from the waiting room into the emergency department. And again, you might stop there and then you say, well, okay, then we need more people to do discharges. But then if you keep asking why, you might, I don't know, reach the conclusion that the person is waiting because their discharge papers were completed by the morning nurse and then she left shift and now the afternoon nurse is in and she doesn't know exactly who needs to be discharged and how when the information transfer hasn't happened. And that's why the person is still stuck there. But until you get to that deep level of why, um, you would be making a lot of wrong decisions about building capacity in the emergency room, adding more beds, hiring more nurses. Um, without actually realizing what the true problem is that caused the bottleneck and uh, uh, created the problem all the way down. So this this works in life as well. Whenever you get confronted or notice a particular, I guess, symptom or a particular effect uh, in trying to understand what what the cause of it is. Yeah, I think that's that's always the thing that I'm on the lookout for. Having gone through the majority of of my understanding of this came from the Air Force. They do a lot of mm-hmm. this sort of process improvement type yep. teaching, and I just grabbed onto it, and I, I really enjoyed it, and dug into the the Lean and Six Sigma stuff, and the Toyota uh, mm-hmm. method, and all this other fun stuff. And and so in my world, almost everything that I do, I'm continually asking myself, is this the best way to do this? If mm-hmm. if not, how can I improvement? What am I looking for? And so I think from a, a process improvement standpoint, that's, I think, the biggest thing that I want people to take away from our episode today is just to continually challenge what you're doing every day. Is it the best use of time, how much waste. And and if you dig into this stuff, you'll learn that there are different types of waste. How much waste is there in what you're doing? And is there a way to potentially improve it? I, I think that's what I, I hope students take away today is mm-hmm. is to to think through those things. Right. If I give just a silly example of of when you're emptying the dishwasher, 
right? You don't, yep. you don't put your, your silverware in a drawer in another room. You put it in, in a drawer in your kitchen because that makes the most sense. So you don't have to walk around in all these different mm-hmm. parts of your, your, uh, your house. And so just continually thinking about, um, just using a kitchen example, like where, where do I have my toaster? What drawer do I have uh, my silverware in? Am I constantly going uh, across the kitchen to get stuff out of the silverware drawer when yep. it, maybe I can move it to a different place and and remove that waste. So that's the kind of stuff that I like to think about. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think actually kitchens are a perfect example of studying processes, like good, good I guess, principles of good processes and good system design. Um so they're, they're technically, what, what do you do when you take something out of the fridge, right? You need to generally put it in the counter or maybe you need to wash it or maybe you need to chop it. So you really don't want your sink and your fridge to be very far apart, like in opposite corners of the room, because that will make you like if you need to take out, I don't know, tomatoes, peppers and lettuce, you already made three round trips across your kitchen just to take out and wash and deal with three items. Similarly, when you wash things or drain things, you usually want to go from the kit from the sink to the uh, to the stovetop, and you don't want those to be across the room either. So um, I, I'm actually I've been paying a lot of attention to this because we are coincidentally looking to buy a house, <laughs> and so um, you would be surprised how many poorly designed kitchens there <laughs> there are oh, yeah. um, out there. Definitely um, fashion over function. Yes. And it, it, uh, yeah, it pains me. (laughs) Yeah. So you have, uh, an awesome program, awesome master's program to teach these principles and these, this education to, to students and to physicians. And, and obviously we're talking to the majority of pre-med students right now. What can your program offer students so that they can potentially have a better understanding of, of all of this before they even go into to medicine for real? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's a, that's a great question. And I would say probably, uh, I, I guess I want to talk about three things. Number one is that residency programs have started requiring process improvement projects as part of the residency. Um, so, um, there is an increased, um, I guess, understanding and perspective from the clinical community of the need to train healthcare professionals in this particular case, med students, um, or residents, um, in how to think and how to approach improving processes and systems. Because one thing, as much as you and I are talking right now about how we like to think about these things. One of the hardest things to change is to is to change something that you've been doing in a one particular way forever and ever. So getting that practice and that habit of thinking critically and looking critically at how you do things and thinking about how you do them better is a really important skill to have. Um, and it's reflected in the change on the residency requirements. Second is that more recently, um, the AMA has launched new guidelines for um, the kinds of things that you should be studying in medical school. Um, And then there's a push for this idea of healthcare delivery uh, system science. Um, And 
again, the concept being that um, we need to think about medicine and the practice of medicine as this complex team sport that has a lot of different moving parts and that automatically requires a set of tools and a set of thinking models and patterns that you don't really get from a pure uh, clinical or uh, science curriculum. And so what my students get is that kind of a perspective and practice doing that sort of thinking and thinking about medicine and about healthcare in that way before they even hit the uh, medical school. Um, so we we run them through we run them through not only process improvement but once you figure out how to think about processes and systems you can actually become relatively analytical with how um, basically how you can think about which improvements to apply and how and where um, and so we have courses dedicated to those uh, we have courses dedicated to understanding finance um, and how the the money plays a role in how healthcare is delivered both at a hospital level and also from a physician's perspective um, we have courses in information systems so understanding how you can utilize um, information systems to drive decision making um, I, I if i had a penny for every physician i learned from or every time someone said that physician hate ehr systems mm-hmm. um, I would be a really rich person right now. Um, so that course aims to, to some extent, demystify EHR systems, but also develop a concept of the use of information as driving or enabling better decision-making. Um, so we, we try to give students, and in this particular case, pre-med students, a well-rounded perspective on what it is to be a healthcare professional and what it is to think about systems of healthcare delivery with using all these tools and all these different um, different perspectives. Um, I think this, um, not I think, I mean, I've seen and I've known from students who have applied and are now in medical school, this gives them a, an edge in their application process. It also gives them really a different perspective. So everything they learn in medical school overlays on a different concept of uh, medicine and care delivery than they would have had um, had they not really looked at it from a systems perspective. For the student who wants to dig into this sort of information now, do you have a go-to book that you recommend everyone read to, to get a kind of primer on this? I guess not a book. There are many resources available um, available out there. Um, so there are uh, books by Clayton Christensen, um, Innovators Prescription being one of them. Um, I was actually having a very interesting conversation with one of my students earlier about that. Um, there are books that have been written about uh, the Toyota production system, mm-hmm. uh, looking at Virginia Mason or Theta Care or Intermountain Healthcare is like... Uh, examples of organizations that have adopted this sort of mindset of continuously improving and striving for better. Um, Mayo Clinic is an excellent example. Mayo Clinic has had a systems engineering group um, since its inception for about 100 years. Um, There are... um, 
a lot of um, different tools through the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, um, things that preach lean in hospitals. Uh, so there, there are many different, um, there are many different uh, books and resources, um, resources out there. Yeah, I think the book that I always turn to first for people who are interested in this is a book called The Goal. Uh, yeah, by that's Goldratt. also good. Because yeah. it's an interesting book. It's an older book, uh, but it's it's written through storytelling, through a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does a really good job of portraying the information that you need to know in a in kind of a fun way. So that's where I, I think I would I personally would recommend students to start with. But um, they can also go check out the master's program at Lehigh. Tell them how they can get some information about that. Um, so we have a website. Um, hse.lehigh.edu. Um, that would be a good place to start. You can also figure out uh, what some of our alumni have been doing, those that have not gone into medicine, and also read uh, some articles on uh, different applications of systems engineering in different in different arenas. Um, and there are resources um, that that you can uh, link to from uh, from our website. Um, probably a good a good resource, though it's a, a bit heavy. Um, in 2014, um, uh, there uh, there was a um, PCAS, so President's Councils of Council of Advisors on Science and Technology, published a report on the need for systems engineering and system thinking in healthcare, um, and it called really for bringing that education. Uh, into the workforce among clinicians, administrators, and public health officials. So it wasn't restricted just to clinical professionals, but rather touched all um, all different areas of healthcare. And that comes, um, so uh, if you just Google 2014 PCAS report on healthcare systems engineering, um, that provides very good examples of uh, specific applications of systems engineering in healthcare in many different settings. Um, and it gives a very a very compelling argument as to why um, this kind of thinking is needed in healthcare um, and why it should be built. Um, and that comes on the heels of a number of other reports from um, Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, um, um, an NSF and Institute of Medicine collaboration from the early 2000s, um, and a number of other. Uh, a number of other reports and um, I guess publications in in this vein. So I, I recommend the report, even though it's a bit a bit long and a bit big, uh, but it actually uh, makes a pretty clear um, argument as to how to think about healthcare and why, when you think about it that way, you need systems thinking in it. All right, there you have it. Again, that was Anna from Lehigh University, Healthcare Systems Engineering. It is a master's program. If you are thinking about taking a gap year and you want to learn more about healthcare systems engineering, I would highly recommend going and checking them out at hse.lehigh.edu. Now, this master's program wouldn't be a good master's program if you are looking at improving your GPA and and using this as a post-bac program. This is a master's program. If you are really interested in process improvement in healthcare systems engineering, and you want this knowledge base for your future practice, or if you're thinking about going into administration, 
wherever you are thinking about going and, and you think this may be useful, this is definitely something that I would check out. As always, you don't need a master's program to start learning this information. Uh, Anna gave a couple recommendations on what to look into. I gave the recommendation of the book called The Goal. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes. I hope you have a great week. We'll be back here next week for some more pre-med years. See you later. 